0: We're going to have fun today, and I just believe God's got an awesome story to tell as we talk about marriage this morning. We are in our series called Surviving to Thriving, and we have talked about the personal life of the believer. And then we, uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the single life for all of you singles in the room this morning. And if you missed that, go check it out online. It's specifically for you. And this morning, we're going to talk about marriage. Uh, marriage. I'm, I, this is one of my favorite topics, um, but it's a hard one. It's a struggle, right? And uh, we want to talk this morning about what does it mean to not only survive in the Christian marriage, but to thrive in the Christian marriage. Uh, maybe, I hope none of you have, have a similar story to this, but a Santa Fe man years ago phoned the newspaper and asked if his engagement notice be withdrawn from the paper, He had told, though, it had already begun to press, it was going to go out to the stands the next day, so he just said, oh, well, I guess I'll marry her then. True story, 1975, a man named Antonio Cervantes of Mexico City had no money to pay for his wedding, so, this bright idea, he burglarized the home of his future father-in-law, stealing over $50,000 worth of goods. Later, he was caught and explained to the police, I had no money, and he's rich. His bride had no comment. And uh, no, matter, no matter what the state of your marriage is today, I want you to know there's hope. No matter your state of your relationship with Jesus Christ, I want you to know that there is hope. God has provided the power for us to change. He's given us tools for growth in His Word and every Christian marriage and every Christian life will have problems. But God gives us the ability to not only survive, but to thrive in Jesus Christ. Amen? If you got your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Uh, for the believer, we want to be married just like Jesus Christ. Now, someone just thought, but Jesus wasn't married, Pastor. That's correct. But he will be. He's on the journey of his engagement right now at this very moment to be married to you and to me. It's a spiritual allegory for us, but we kind of get that picture of how much Jesus Christ is the perfect husband. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes to his church. Uh, verse 22, uh, let follow along with me this morning. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is also head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless... So husbands ought to love their own wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Now jump down to verse 33. He sums it all together for both parties. Nevertheless, each individual among you is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father God, this morning I pray that you would just speak over this word through this congregation, God, that you would inspire us. I pray for hope today. Uh, restoration today, God, that we would leave this place stronger than we ever were. God, That I know that uh, whether our spouse is with us today, Lord, whether we're going through struggles or trials, whether we're separated, God, whether it, we're in a honeymoon phase, whether we are, God, Lord, we can always use more of your spirit, more of your word at the center of our marriage. And God, I pray today, Lord, that this would... Uh, just be a stepping stone in the right direction for every single person in here. God, that we would take our relationship with you to the next level and our relationship with one another to the next level uh, in your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. What do you get out of that passage right there? Some will say, wife, it's all da-da-da-da-da. Husband, it's all da 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 The sum of that whole passage is not about what is the wife's job or what is the husband's job. The sum of that passage is this. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Let's repeat that together because we're going to say it a few times over the course of the day. So it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Your marriage is all about Jesus. And so we're going to talk this morning about surviving and thriving. But there's a lot of death happening in marriages around the world, no uh, really in this in the history of, of uh, the human race, uh, marriage has been on the attack in this modern age more now than ever with a rapid rise of divorce and You can look at different um, studies and statistics, and some will say fifty percent fifty one percent uh, we just know. I don't even think there's a need to be a statistic. How many people do you know that is experiencing divorce, or has gone through divorce, or maybe you've been through divorce? And that's something that has been unusual in the last uh, 50 years or so. Uh, the modern marriage is plagued by problems, and I think it's a sign of the last days. Uh, take a look at some symptoms of the sick and dying marriages, though. One of the uh, I've done a lot of research on marriage, uh, marriage counseling. Um, it's it's a uh, kind of a, a topic of mine I, I like to enjoy reading about, but one of the some of the the top leading marriage uh, therapists a Christian marriage therapists will tell you the major here's some of the major sicknesses of marriages today number one lack of communication these are in no order uh, negative thinking that's where we put on those blinders where we always uh, and never we say always and never we always see you as never taking out the trash. That kind of we we get those blinders on where we we whitewash everything in a negative sense. Uh, bad communication where we verbally uh, abuse one another or, or sarcastic to one another. Uh, inability to resolve conflict, unforgiveness, commitment drift, which basically means that two people have woke up one day they're two separate people two separate lives broken trust and a lack of intimacy. Things like negative communication, sarcasm, uh, you've got blame, you've got ridicule, ridicule you've got put-downs. Those things have led in many marriages to defensiveness, isolation, withdrawal, resentment, bitterness, self-esteem issues, and a lack of intimacy. So you've got the way we talk to one another. Then you've got things like unforgiveness, which is pretty much the cancer of marriage, which prevents any form of intimacy, any form of a positive communication, and that unforgiveness uh, gets locked away within us, comes out in anger and bitterness, grudges, resentment, things that our spouses may have done to us or didn't do to us years ago. Uh, we don't even know sometimes why we're having problems we have now, but we can rewind and find that there's a root of unforgiveness there. We've never really made amends through those things. Uh, and ultimately, uh, unforgiveness provides this final judgment on marriage. And it, it we'll wake up one day and think this thought, which is a horrible thought, I deserve better. I deserve better. Uh, you can know that your marriage is sick or sure to be on the soon deathbed if you have thinking this thought. I deserve better. So let's just this morning, you got to wonder. Well, does my marriage need attention today? I'm gonna give you some questions to ask yourself in your head this morning. We're kind of gonna have just kind of a talk today. Um, and you can see some resources here over on the stage. Uh, after we're done, you can look at. Does my marriage need help? because some of us are thinking, <laughs> some of the husbands were thinking, oh, "I'm good, I'm fine. Their wife elbowing you saying. Listen to this." Uh, does your marriage need help today? Let's ask, what would your spouse say about this? Is the division of labor fair in your home? What would your spouse say? Do you spend enough time alone together? Is your sexual relationship sufficient? Do you argue over money? Do you argue over different ideas or goals, and are you able to argue and come to a healthy resolution? What do you think your spouse would say today uh, about how healthy your marriage is rated on a scale? Uh, What we want to do today is really get to the real problem. I'm not really doing a massive marriage counseling here, but I really want us to dig into the Word to define out, to discover the next step. We want to see what God has said to us in His Word, what might be the problem, And how we can take on this uh, this next step of surviving to thriving. But when I look at Ephesians chapter five, if I can determine in myself and to, to understand this that my marriage is all about Jesus, then I know that my opposition that I find in this and in my marriage today, the opposition I find is not my spouse. While it sometimes may be me, it's not my spouse. But if my marriage is all about Jesus, my opposition is the enemy, the adversary, the devil who wants to divide and conquer us. And because my marriage is all about Jesus, my number one, the Bible says that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities and powers and heavenly places, evil forces, heavenly places. The number one reason we see the church has the same rate of divorce today as the world is because your marriage is called to be all about Jesus and the devil knows it. Amen? Are you all with me today? Amen. Okay, cool. All right, let's talk about surviving the Christian marriage. Surviving the Christian marriage. A lot of, okay, now a lot of non-marriages, a, non, a lot of non-Christian marriages uh, may make it till death do us part. We're not going to talk about those marriages today. We're talking about you and I uh, and our Christian marriages, okay? Uh, we're discussing what we call a covenant marriage. Covenant marriage. Gary Chapman has a great book called The Covenant Marriage. I recommend every married couple to read it. But a covenant marriage is based upon God's love and His Word. It is a death till death do us part marriage. It's a marriage, though, that is not made out of a contract. It's not made out of, if you do this, then I do this. That's called how you buy a car. If I pay my bill on this car, I get to keep it. But if I don't, they take the car back. That's not the Christian marriage. That is the world's marriage. If, if she doesn't do this or she does this, then I'll stay with her. That's the world. A Christian marriage is till death do us part, no matter what. It means that I choose to sacrifice myself for you, no matter who you are or who you will be or what you'll ever do. Doesn't matter if he goes bald, ladies, if he gets the love handles, if, you know, uh, he snores louder than a freight train. You've promised till death do us part. And all the guys say, amen. Well, some of them did. Okay, maybe we're going to talk about why, husbands, you should want to stay married. Okay, in a second. But it means that the Christian marriage demonstrates not the romantic feeling of love, but a steadfast, unconditional, selfless love like Jesus Christ. Your marriage is a symbol of God's love. Do you know that? Your marriage is a symbol of God's love to the world. He is using you as a witness, as a tool for evangelism. And so when we talk about marriage in the Christian life, it's a love that's defined, it's a choice. It's defined as a choice. It's not if she reads this and and, and we have a romantic or, or sorry, if 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 my husband was just like the notebook. If he would just be like that Ryan guy and swoop me off my feet and take me down to Alabama to the Everglades or wherever it was, you know, if if uh, you know if he could just uh, whatever, if he would just woo me more, it is all about a selfless choice to love the other person no matter what. That's the definition of the Christian marriage. It is a choice to sacrifice for the benefit of my spouse. It's a love that speaks the truth. It's a love that calls out sin. It's not a love that enables one another. Please hear me this morning. It doesn't mean that you, as I choose to die for this other person, Jesus Christ doesn't enable us to walk all over and do whatever we want and live and get to go to heaven. That's not true love. True love does have consequences. True love does set boundaries. True love does uh, have a. Uh, uh, You're not disciplined and part of it. You know, Jesus Christ, he disciplines us, uh, but yet he loves us sacrificially. True love always stands ready to forgive when repentance is offered and make amends. And so Christian marriage is more than a promise. It's a binding pledge. It's a covenant and a covenant with God says this, that God promised to himself that he would do whatever it took to get the opportunity for us to go to heaven. He promised to himself, even if not everyone in the world takes my offer that Jesus Christ dies on the cross, I'm still going to send my son, even if only one person does it. And I think he would have done it even if no person did it, because he loved us that much to say, I promise to let you get back to me. I promise to always stand ready to forgive you, no matter what you do or don't do, no matter who you are or what you become. I'm always going to be here waiting and ready. That's the Christian marriage. And that's, maybe that's not the marriage you entered into today. And uh, we can talk more about that. Uh, in and in in I would encourage you, a few uh, years ago, we went through a covenant marriage series. Go back and listen to that because there's a special a message regarding those who have not... Maybe you're not in a covenant marriage this morning. But you can't do choose what your spouse does, but you can choose what you do. Amen. You can't choose what your spouse does, but you can choose... What you, do. you can't choose how your spouse loves you, but you can choose how you love your spouse. That's good right there. It's all about one directional. It's one directional covenant. Let's talk about, let's break this down. Ephesians chapter 5, let's go back to there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, we're talking about fr- uh, surviving. How will a Christian marriage survive? Paul lays it out very simply right here. He says, husbands love. This is your command, husbands. This is just for you, just for a moment. Husbands, you love. Husbands, love your wife. Verse 25, just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. Verse 28, husbands ought to love their own wife as they love their own body. Who loves his own wife? Loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he cherishes it, just like Christ and the church. Husbands, loving your wife means demonstrating it. Words are great. Actions are better. Amen. Wife? Ladies, I got a couple men. Amen. Okay, very good. You're gonna to help to help me, ladies, preach to your husbands, okay? This is I'm I'm helping you out here, right? The work of the husband is to continually demonstrate his love to his wife. That means after God, husband, the wife comes first. You know what that means, husband? You come last. It means the husband's work. It says here to cherish the wife. What does it mean to cherish your wife? Some of us cherish our deer rifles. Some of us cherish our cars, some of us cherish our alone time in the bathroom, whatever it is, you cherish something, right? You cherish it. It means to think of her wants, think of her needs, her desires, what are the things that she wants with no regard to ourself. It means to continually forgive her, forget her faults uh, as Christ has forgiven yours, husband. Think of this. Here's some questions, husbands. After God, is your wife all you think about? Because Jesus Christ is saying, this is how I think of you. I'm always thinking about my church. I'm always thinking about you. So that's cool. Awesome. So how we think about that. Do I seek to please her? How am I leading her closer to Christ? Husbands, what is your wife's dreams and ambitions? Somebody should be able to ask you that on the side of the street, and you should be able to give an answer. What does your wife really want out of life? What is your wife's goals, ambitions, and dreams? And how do I listen to her? That's a hard one for us, for me, for sure. How do you sacrifice for her lately? What have you done for her lately? Have you bought her something lately, husband? May, wives, you may go home and get some flowers. I'm helping you out here, right? What have you bought your wife lately, husband? What, what crazy random thing have we done for her? Because Christ is always thinking about us. And that should be, whether you're married or single or what, that should be something that challenges us and ourselves to say, this is how God thinks of me. He's always thinking about how He can bless me, how much He uh, longs to be with me, that He's the first thing. If God slept, I'd be the first thought when He woke up, and I'd be the last thought when He went down to sleep. And God always has provided me with the very best Husbands, He's trying to help you understand your marriage is all about Jesus. He's wanting you to be just like God and to show God to your wife and to remind her how much God loves her, how much God has paid for her the price, and how much He thinks about her. And lady, whether you're married or not, you have a God up in heaven who lavishes His grace on you. Amen? He, he dotes over you. He is, he, everything He can think about is you. Husbands, take an inventory. Be like Jesus. All right, let's talk about wives. Husbands are like, yeah, hurry up, get over me. Okay, wives, respect, he says. So husbands, your job is to love. Wives, your job is to respect. Uh, now, what does that mean? Because they're thinking, oh, Lord, he's going Old Testament here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, he says, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's his only verse right there, really. Husbands, the far weightier is on you. The meat of it is on you. It is called to be your responsibility to love like Jesus. Wives, he says, be like the church to Christ, okay? He says the work of the wife is to continually be faithful, uh, submissive, and sensitive to her husband. That means after God, ladies, the husband comes first after God. It means the wife's work is to honor her husband, to speak positively about him, to uplift him, to encourage him, and to follow him as he follows Christ. You know what that means, husbands? You better be following Christ so she can follow you. Don't expect the wife to follow you into the bar and to go do those things and those behaviors because her first priority is to Jesus Christ. Her second priority is to you. Amen? Ladies? Okay. Very good. So what does that mean? Think about the church. What do we do today? We came here, we adored God. We sing praises to Him. We honored Him. We gave our lives to Him To because why? He's already died for us. And so we're saying, ladies, that's what uh, Paul is saying. He's like, think about how you worship God and honor God. Your husband needs an encouraging word. He needs to be uplifted, not torn down, to build him up, to thank God for him and to let him know that you appreciate him. And that's part of the DNA and the spirituality of a man. That that's what God has put in him to need from you. And so, ladies, be encouraging to your husband. Have you, have, does your husband know that you have his back? Is he encouraged by your presence? Do you enjoy serving him and making him that big pot roast, right, husbands? Uh, or that big steak? Uh, do you compliment and thank your husband more than you criticize him? Okay. I'm helping you out, husband. See, I'm playing both sides here this morning, right? Got to have fun. Loosen up a little bit, y'all. I like what one pastor said. He said, every word you speak, ladies, is either going to be building or bulldozing. You're either going to be building your man up to who you want him to be in God, or you're going to be tearing him down. And so maybe he's not the man of God you want him to be, but build him up to become that. He'll never become it if you're always tearing him down. Build him up. Encourage him. When you see Christ-like attitude in him, praise him for that. When you see him taking care of your kids, praise him for that. When he's doing the things that maybe you know that your, your uh, other, people, other husbands in the world don't do very often. He's, he's doing the laundry, the tr- taking out the trash without even asking. Her. He's, you know, he picks up his underwear off the floor, and he's a great guy. You know, just praise him. Okay, anyway, I'm moving on. All right. Husbands, love. Wives, respect. But here's the key. What is your position in the marriage? Husband, according to this, your position in the marriage is last place. Wives, according to this, your position in the marriage is last place. So if you're going to fight for something, fight for last place. God is first, my spouse is second, and I am last. And so it's a continual lowering of self. No, it's kind of like that that idea where you see two people going, trying to go into the store. No, you go first. No, 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 you go first. You see these two honeymoon people that you're just like, oh, they're just so annoying. Yeah, you know. Uh, you, no, you're wonderful, honey. No, you, that's what it is. Spiritually and, and relationally, it's a continual fight for last place. How can I outserve him? And how can I outserve her? That's what it is. Why? Because your marriage is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's to show Jesus to your spouse. And how do you do that? How do we survive the Christ-like marriage? It's keeping these Christ-like priorities. You know, the greatest sin of Adam and Eve was really that they failed to put God first and to keep God first. Adam sought to please his wife more than please God. Husbands, take an inventory. We are seeking to please God first more than our wife. But in pleasing God first, we will please our wife. Amen? And Eve was seeking to please herself. And so they both fell because they both did not seek to put God first. And so Paul even says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that it's harder for married people to serve the Lord. Singles... You have not an easier life, but yet you have such opportunity to devote yourself to the Lord. Married, 1 Corinthians 7 says, Married people, their interests are divided between pleasing God and pleasing one another. It is so easy to make your spouse God. It's so easy to make your kids God. It's so easy to make the American dream God. But that's when marriages begin to crumble. We work too much. We don't ever spend time with God nor our families. We, we dote all of our time and energy on our children, But ladies, but we never bless and spend time with our spouse. We're building up something else as God. But as I put all of my energy into putting God first, myself last, my spouse second, we see that our energy cannot just be divided between who am I pleasing? Am I pleasing myself or am I pleasing God? But I'm saying, Lord, I'm putting you first. And Christ provides this great example for us that he always kept the Father's will, his number one priority, and he loved his church till death. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, we know the great command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind. That's the first and greatest. And second is equally important. Let's change it. Love your spouse as yourself. Your marriage will survive the test of time when your marriage is all about Jesus. How can I be Jesus to my spouse? Even if my spouse is not... Uh, where they ought to be or who they ought to be, your job is always to be Jesus to them. Whether they're running around on you, whether they're cursing you, whether they're not being helpmate to you, your job is to show them the love of Jesus Christ, that he so loved the world, even when we were dead and sinners and on our way to hell and we had no thought about him in our life, he was always thinking of us, he was always praying for us, and he was willing yet still to die for us. That's the example that we as Christians have an opportunity to show this world. Your marriage can be an opportunity for someone to get saved. Because that's God's illustration. You are a sermon illustration to the Lord. All right, so that's how you survive. Husbands love, wives honor. Husbands cherish, wives honor. But what about thriving? What about thriving? You know, I, I really struggled with which of these orders came first, because I don't really know in the marriage, the Christian marriage, that there is just this uh, one way, and then there's a level two. I think it is all here in the foundation that Paul is saying, your marriage must be all about Jesus. And I begin to think so many times about myself, or we begin to think about ourselves, what my needs are, what my wants are, what I'm not getting out of this, and I'm so inwardly focused, I forget my marriage is all about Jesus, and that's where the, the, the sins of marriage and the breakdown of marriage begins. But there is this thriving I want to talk about this morning. So there's surviving husbands love like Jesus, wives honor like we honor uh, Jesus from the church's perspective, and there's this thriving. God has given you the power to grow your marriage. So wherever you are today, God's given you the ability to thrive, to bloom, to produce fruit, and to enjoy the journey. How does, it, how does that happen? Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. Christ-like qualities. How do we do this? How do we become Jesus for our spouse? And how do we have our right priorities and and bless one another and think of them first in our lives? It comes only through this renewal. It's not possible in the world. One of the reasons I don't counsel non-Christians in marriage is this right here. It's not possible for me to counsel them. It's not possible for me to counsel them because their minds are not renewed. And it's so very hard even when one spouse is a believer and one spouse is not because there's not an option for them to understand the things I'm saying because their mind is not renewed. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Always be humble and gentle, new living. Be patient with each other, making allowance for one another's faults because of your love. That's that Christ's love. Verse 3, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in what? United in the Spirit, binding yourself together with peace. That's the peace of the Spirit. And he goes on. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Verse 24, put on your new nature, created to be like God, righteous and holy. I can't be like Jesus without the Holy Spirit in me. And you have, sometimes you counsel the, uh, spou- a couple and you've got one spouse running away and it's nothing we can do to bring them back because their mind and their heart's not renewed. And so there's no possibility of unity uh, in the Christian marriage until there's a birth of the Holy Spirit and a renewal of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, husbands and wives too, you'll never figure out how to love your spouse better than by spending time in prayer. Letting the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts, renew your minds. You're never more Christ-like than you are to your spouse. We want to define the Christian marriage. We want to determine where we are and where we're going. One of the things I find most often is we can be so nice to that person at the grocery store or the mailbox or our neighbors or someone at church They'll step on our toe. They'll back their car into our car in the parking lot. We're just like, oh, that's okay. And, you know, because we have that, that persona of Christian to keep on. But what happens when we go home? He takes the toupee off. It's all over. You know, it's like, uh, it's like you just, you didn't put that fork where you, you know, you didn't do the dishes. Just, and it, we, all this whole other person comes out of us. Why? We feel like we don't have to be Christian to our spouse so many times. But he's saying, you are no more Christian than you are to your spouse. Let me say it again. You are no more and no better a Christian than you are to your spouse because your spouse is second behind God. So, who you are at home with your spouse is really who you are. Kind of a scary thing, isn't it? your patience, your temper, your anger, your resentment, your words, your speech, that's where you're going to get judged at, at home. And so you can come to church and you can put on the Christian facade and you go out in the streets and put on the Christian facade, but how Christian you are to your spouse, the person who knows how to push every single button there is to push on you, that's the real test. That's the real definition of a Christ-like love. So you're never more Christian than you are in your marriage. Let me give you a couple of things real quick uh, that it will promote some thriving if you have a Christian marriage today, uh, or if you are a Christian who is married today, no matter what state of your marriage. I'm gonna give you some tips real quick for thriving after you've put Christ first. Okay, are you ready? Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, just to know you're with me. Number one thing, I'm gonna give you two words communion and commission. The first thing about thriving is communion. Every marriage requires intimacy and communication. Those are the two uh, some bedrocks for marriage. Intimacy and communication. What are those? God calls you to be one flesh, one mind, one accord, right? And so it represents this communion. Your marriage is to represent the communion that God desires with us in, in, uh, as the church, right? And so there's a couple types of intimacy that we can just break out this morning under communion. The first is relational intimacy. The second is emotional intimacy, and the third is physical intimacy. And relational, that means being that friend, that my spouse should be my friend. It should be a relationship of listening and communication, and it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of practice. Those of you who have been married for a length of time know this. It means knowing when to speak and not to speak. Right, husbands? Sometimes you just shouldn't say anything at all. That's okay, Save yourself, some, <laughs> save, save yourself some, some heartache, right? Knowing when to speak and not to speak, it means proactively sharing. It means speaking positively. It means refusing to blame, to judge, to verbally retaliate, to refuse to. No matter how angry you get, no matter how many buttons they push, it's knowing when to be quiet. It's knowing not to speak the words that you can never take back. That's going to do more damage than any kind of good. That's because when I'm angry, it's all about me. It's not about them. So I refuse. I refuse to blame, to judge, to retaliate. I refuse to say the D word in my home. That's not the word you're thinking. Divorce. That word never comes up in our home. We made a pledge when we first got married, Beth and I. We will never, ever say that word in our home. We made a covenant together. That word is never threatened. It's never used. It's never even off the cuff. That word never comes in my house. Because we have an intimacy that uh, we want to grow as friends and communicate. How can I? uh, I can't just argue and say things I'm never going to do. That breaks that barrier of intimacy and communication. So here's some tips relationally make sure, spouse, you're having fun together, take vacations, go on a regular date night if you haven't gone on one in a while. Have a weekly family meeting to discuss your agenda and your finances. Make sure every week you guys sit ahead, of, maybe at the table, that you're talking. What's coming on this week? What are the kids doing? What are you doing? What's our schedule look like? What do we got going? How's our finances? Where are we at in these? Begin to commute proactively. Communicate proactively. And the result's going to be trust. It's becoming this team and not protecting my own interests. I learned to resolve conflict because we're always in movement forward. And we have faith in one another. So that's relationally. Emotionally, this means going to a place of vulnerability. It means taking off the mask. It means I have to be willing to expose some weaknesses. To let my spouse know how I really feel about how I'm doing in life. Where am I satisfied with my job? Am I satisfied with myself as a mom or a dad? Do I like where we are in our marriage? Do, do we even talk about those things? Do I even say, I'm happy with us? Or do we ever have those conversations? It, that comes again at that weekly meeting, perhaps, that family meeting. Healthy marriages are going to be a place where you seek to understand one another. I'm always going to know that my spouse is going to have my back. I know that she's always or he's going to always I have grace when I come to them. That if I come and confess something to them, there's going to be no shame. There's going to be no guilt. There's going to be no blame. Because when I come to God and I repent of my sins, does God stay there and say, I told you so. If you would just listen to me the first time and it wouldn't happen that way. And now, 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 now. No, God says, I've always been waiting for you to come and be honest with me. I forgive you. Let's now move forward. Leave that sin. Go and sin no more. Let's move on. That's God's relationship with us. Husband and wife. Maybe your spouse isn't going to open up to you because they think you're just going to yell at them. And blame them and accuse them and slander them. That's that emotional intimacy. So maybe take every, every couple of months, have a time to sit down and have that intimate conversation. Go in a place with no interruptions. Ask your spouse, how am I doing? What can I do more? How are you doing spiritually? What's frustrating you right now? And what are some positive things we are doing that's right? And you get to that place, you'll be growing in forgiveness that doesn't mean you're going to excuse or minimalize wrongs, but you're going to continue to renew your love every day in Jesus Christ. In Romans 5.8, you're going to find that hidden joy and hidden strength that Jesus forgave you so I can forgive my spouse. There's relational intimacy, emotional intimacy, physical intimacy. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says that we're not to neglect physical intimacy. Uh, that's an extreme emotional and spiritual well-being of the marriage. There's a lot of immorality in the world. There's a lot of self, uh, lack of self-control in the world. So even scripture has said to this, that we are to be intimate together physically to meet our spouse's needs and their relational needs and emotional needs and their physical needs. And spouses uh, who do this are going to be growing in commitment. Ladies, let your husband focus on you so he won't be focusing anywhere. But husbands, get this, self-control lies with you. The responsibility to be pure relies with you. Your eyes are your problem. Amen? Ladies can back me up on that one. Doesn't matter what your wife does or does not do, husbands. The responsibility is with you. But ladies, help your husband out. Be a desire for him. Grow in physical intimacy together. All the tension decreases. uh, Desire increases. Conflict uh, decreases. And so there's that communion. So that's the thriving part. You're never more Christian than you are in your marriage, but it begins with this communion. The marriages who begin to thrive get to a deep place of communion. They just know one another. They just know. And it's not a... Uh, every couple is different. Not one couple is the same. The way they, they go back and forth. Uh, you know, uh, I know some friends of mine, they, like, never argue. And compared to Beth and I, you'd think we were on, like, the edge of divorce or something. Because, But, but you know, like, arguing happens fighting's going to happen but it's how you grow through it how you respond to it and my wife and I we have this uh, understanding we'll argue we'll fight we'll never use those negative communication we don't blame we don't accuse we don't judge we have those boundaries but we fight and then we get over it and we move on we forgive one another, and then the day continues on. We, don't choo- we choose not to harbor those things the next day and the next day and the next day and bring it up three years later and say, you remember eight years ago when you left me at that restaurant? You know, husband's been there before, right? Deal with it that day and move on. Forgive. Okay, that's communion. Then there's commission, and this is my favorite, and I want to kind of wrap it up with this. I want you to survive as a married couple. But I want you to thrive. And that begins with the communion of Jesus Christ relationally, emotionally, physically. Physically. And then there's the commission. This is where so few couples, listen to me, so few, I'm talking so few couples get to the commission part. Commission part. You won't even read this in many books. Adam and Eve were made by the hand of God and they were made with one purpose, one spirit, and one body. He made them out of the same, out of the same flesh, breathed life into them from the same being, God, His Spirit. And He gave them one purpose, to go and multiply and take care of the world and be good stewards of it. And He gave them that mission to accomplish. Now Christ gives us as new believers in a new covenant, with a new spirit, a new mission. Now listen to me. You as a married couple... Singles, it says that you are called to be more devoted to the Lord. That singles, you have a special place with God. That you're, you're free from the distractions that many of these marrieds are. But marrieds, you also have a purpose in the Lord. A mission, a commission from God. That your marriage is all about who? Jesus. Your marriage is not about you. Your marriage is not about how many kids you can have, where you go to school with your kids, how many plays and soccer practices and dance recitals and football games. All that stuff's great. But your marriage, number one, is called to be all about Jesus. Just because you're married does not mean you're a different type of Christian that doesn't get to be doing as much for the Lord. He's using your marriage as an evangelistic tool. Your number one priority to Jesus Christ is to go make disciples as an individual and likewise, your marriage is to follow suit. And so your marriage, while so many believers, it hinders us from getting involved to doing things. And yes, as a, as a married couple, we have things and responsibilities. We've got our kids to take care of, We've got our finances to handle. We've got our home, we've got school, all the things that take a part of our pie of life. But our number one priority is to make disciples as a married couple. How do you do that? How do you do that? Married people, how are you giving the missions? Are you tithing as a couple? Are you serving in the local church as a couple? Maybe it's not even here. Maybe as a couple, you go and go to a homeless shelter. Maybe it's bringing someone into your house and, and bringing them over for fellowship. That's a, that's a ministry. Maybe it's finding a, another person in the community that you can choose to bless and think of that you, as a married couple, are always taking on. Or even better, find a youth or a kid in our church, that doesn't have a mom or a dad, and begin to bless them, begin to speak things over them. That's a ministry. Maybe it's called to adopt a kid who needs to go to school overseas. Maybe there's things that God is going to creatively call you to do as a married couple that nobody else will do. That's just your calling. Maybe he's called you as a married couple to get involved in our kids or our youth, or maybe it's something in the community. But God has called you as a couple to do something for him. And that's why so many are not thriving today. We get so inwardly focused, and then it begins this comparison. And when Adam and Eve began to lose focus of God and His mission, they began to focus on their desires, and they began to focus to please one another. They lost the focus of Him, and they soon fell. I think one of the number one reasons, you won't hear it in other places today, but the number one reason I think so many married couples are falling is they're so, uh, like David, they got off of the mission field of fighting for God, they went back home and they started playing house, and they got all these dreams and ambitions that were never of God. To begin with, that wasn't God's will for you to make that salary. That was not God's will for you to buy those vehicles. That was not God's will for you to live in that house. Maybe God was going to call you to, as a young couple, to missions. And we wonder why we're failing because neither one of us are focusing all of our focus on Jesus because our marriages must be all about Jesus. We get so focused on earthly pleasures and figuring out what, my, what can please me and how I can survive and thrive in the American dream. And we're not focusing on God and His kingdom. So, here's some questions to ask you before uh, we move into this time of prayer. What values do you want to have as a married couple? Are you praying together? Are you discussing the word together? Are you serving the church together? And I want you to make every decision from this day forward, asking, does God want us to do this? Is this God's will for our household? Are we to to buy that vehicle? Are we to invest that money here? Are we to go there and do that? Are we to take a vacation? I think you should take a vacation. But maybe God would ask you to do something different. We have to give Him that liberty in our marriages. Say, God... I want to thrive, I want our marriage to thrive. I want it to be unbreakable and unshakable. And that's basing it on Jesus Christ, His love for the church and our love for Him. And that's moving to a place of deep communion and intimacy. And then commission. How is my marriage following the great commission? There's hope for every marriage today, and every marriage is going to have problems. But through Christ... You can not only survive but thrive because Christ has provided everything you need, because your marriage is called to be a ministry, and because your marriage is all about Jesus. Amen. I want to take a moment of prayer. I'm going to play a song here in the background, and I just want to